Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. In our study of what God is like and looking at uh, what's known as attributes of God, and those are the things that God has revealed about himself to us so that we can know him. And then uh, we in turn attribute, that's why they're called attributes, we attribute them as being of God. God doesn't grow like humans grow. We talked about it in our, in our study this morning. Um, in knowing and understanding God, we have to get something very clear. Uh, Jesus was a human being, but God on his throne is not like us. We are like him. And we have a tendency to attribute humanness to God because Jesus came in the flesh and so we still attribute things. Um, I, I tell the joking story of, of a man praying years and years and years ago in the prayer room and uh, saying something along this manner. Uh, Lord, I know you're worn out because I get worn out also. God's not worn out. Um, God has certain things about his, the quality of his being where he even says things like, he doesn't slumber or sleep. God doesn't need breaks. We do. We're human. God isn't bound by time. So we've been looking at all those things about God being omniscient, God being omnipotent. Uh, there are things about the qualities of God that actually within the framework of our humanness, our frailty, yes, even our feelings, those things are an anchor for us because we can know the God who's unchanging. He's immutable. There, there's things about the quality of God that he has longed in his heart for us to know. He wants us to know him, what he's like. God isn't trying to hide from any of us. Isn't that good news? You don't have to go look behind this rock or that wall or search, you know, what am I doing? God wants, longs. This is why Jesus came. God longs for you to know him. God longs to reveal himself to you. One of Jesus' great promise in the Gospel of John is he says, I will manifest myself to you. Uh, now the word manifest, we do, do it with manifestations and that sort of thing. That's not what it means. It means to make himself known. I will clearly show you who I am. Now, I have within me, and I hope you have within you, I have no doubt about one thing this morning. God knows that he's God. He has no doubt about his being. He knows that he's God. Why do you say that? Because it puts a place of security in our hearts. The journey of life causes us to, to go, who am I? 
um, some of us are of junior high age in here this morning, or at least close to that, or you can, some of you are close enough that you can remember that. Yay, even I, children, can reach back. And touch this. Do you remember that? That feeling, you know, you're like 11, 12, 13, you're going, who am I? That, that strong search, that's an individuating process, very human process. We long to know us. God doesn't have that ever. He never had it. He was God from the beginning. By the way, the second season of The Chosen have started. How many of have seen episode one? Okay, you got, if you haven't seen the whole first season, you need to watch it. It's real simple. Just download the app, The Chosen. You can even get it to cast onto your TV. It's phenomenal. It is really, really good. And this, this, uh, this, this second season and watching the first episode... Oh my gosh! It and it has that. You know, we're we're familiar with charismatic terms. It has an anointing on it. I mean, you just said it, it, you want to start crying as it starts unfolding. You just start going. It touches you immediately. So if you haven't done it, oh, stop watching the other stupid stuff and watch something really good. And it's so good for your soul. I want to look at an aspect of God this morning that is revealing. I've heard so many, and I've taught so many messages about this through the years because of our humanness. It's not normally seen as something we call as an attribute. Traditionally, theologians calling it an attribute of God, but it is. And it's this. It's the fathering of God. God as a father. And not just that he has qualities, God is father. Yes? Paul had no doubt about this. Uh, I greet you all with his greeting, which is actually, it's, it's putting a blessing on people before they read the stuff that Paul was writing to him. That's why he said, grace and peace to you. And here it comes from God the Father. It was extremely important through the years, and I want to—I want you to see this: that in seeing God, we were meant to see the Father. When you see Jesus, you are called into—that's how He's manifesting Himself in seeing the Father. So, listen again and read with me this passage from John 14. Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now there's 40 sermons just in those three things, maybe more. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's making a declaration. I am the Son and no one comes to the Father. Now you have to remember, i got to give you just a little bit of context. The word Father was not used about God prior to Jesus coming, except for there's three or four prophecies about it, and then there is a comparison, if you will, a simile in Deuteronomy. It says, like a father, I carried you through the desert. But God is not referred to in the Old Covenant, even in the Abraham Covenant. 
though he reveals himself as father in the Abrahamic covenant, but he is not, that is not a word used about God. David never prayed to the Father. There were lots of names regarding God and how he revealed himself. Um, but I love it. Paul Ellis, in his writing, says, Father is the Christian name for God. I love that. So Jesus starts talking to him, and he's been revealing one of the primary things in him coming as the Son was to reveal the Father. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, we're always surprised at Philip, but Philip is us. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? What a personal question to get at with this. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. If you're wondering if the Father exists and what he's like, look at what I do. Look at what I've done and pay very close attention to what I'm about to do. Because he did a work that could only come from the Father. And that was to take down and lay down his life, to choose that way, to actually become sin. He who knew no sin became sin. That's amazing. He became sin and then died and was buried and resurrected. So that we would know what the Father is like. The works that I do. He was proclaiming something here. The work of what I'm about to do in salvation is exactly what God the Father is like. Who? So, why is it so difficult for us to see the Father? Well, I think the question comes out this way. Okay, he's a father. What kind of father is he? Oh, boy, we don't really say that. Yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. Even when we go, yes, he's a father, and even when we hear other people saying, you're a good, good father, we go, what's, well, what's the father really like? I think it's, I mean, it's everywhere, isn't it? Think about literature, movies. Uh, filled with images of dark and broken fathers. From our modern space trilogy, Star Wars from a galaxy long ago and far away, comes Darth Vader, which is a variation of dark father. 
Luke. No! You can't be my daddy. To classics, uh, uh, American literature, the classic Huckleberry Finn and his dad. You got to remember, his whole adventure starts because his dad was an alcoholic, was drunk, and beat on him. So he runs away with a slave, or finds a slave as he's running away, or the slave finds him. It's a wonderful story. Are the great, and many of you will not have read this, I understand this is is my literary snobbishness, the great Russian novel, The Brothers Katamasov, and one of the darkest fathers in all of literature, Fyodor Ketamasov. you got to be dark with a name like that. Who names somebody Fyodor? Isidore, Fyodor, there's the door. He was evil. He was, he was nasty and corrupt and mean and despicable to his kids and everybody else. To the myriad of sitcoms that we have, uh, even with they show a dad to be an okay, good dad, he's still a broken vessel. Don't! Homer Simpson. Homer Simpson sort of looks to be a bad dad through comedy and stuff, but ends up coming back okay, sort of. And we do that with a lot of sitcoms. Everything from Last Man Standing to you name one. They always show the dad as being this kind of semi-bumbling idiot that if good things happen, it's because he accidentally fell into them. So our view of father, and then our own thoughts and our own experience. Some of us had great fathers. Some of us had friends who had great fathers. (laughs) Some of us had distorted fathers. Experience of life with bad fathers and time and our culture and even the way fathers are perceived and the way children are perceived have changed incredibly. Just in my lifetime, in my, in my short almost 70 years, it has changed so much of how children were treated and received. And I'm not saying, oh, you should have seen how bad we had it. And I walked 17 miles to school. That's not what I'm talking about. But children were treated differently. My brother and I were just reminiscing about it. Even to go over to my aunt and uncles, I was given a braided rug that I could play with one toy on. And I was to remain quiet while the adults were talking. With my shoes off, socks only in the house. And you didn't talk, I didn't interrupt. I waited anxiously for grandma who lived with them to give the high sign to go get the pewter dish that had candy in it. And then I would have to serve all the adults first before I got two. They got one. And my Uncle George knew it, so he would always take them. He would look at it. It was at his house, and he would look at that dish, and it was the same three different types of candies that were always in there. But he'd go, hmm. He would look up at me and go, and just take his good sweet time, and I had a sweet tooth. And he never had kids though he always wished he did. 
In my early days of youth ministry and in discipling people and going along that journey and in doing things and we had a I, I just thought it was so natural because I, I when after I got saved, oh man, compared to my dad, yes, I loved the father. I believed in him. I wanted the father in heaven. And I didn't have that. Some people do. I didn't have that issue. But I would tell kids, well, just go pray. Pray to the Father. Not realizing that what I was telling them was something very terrifying at best to them. Or something unknown to their hearts. Go be alone with the Father? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not doing that. I don't even know how to do that. No, I'm not going to pray. Pray? You want me to pray out loud in front of other people to the Father? I got plenty of feedback. Well, Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. So what we see here is that one of the most important things that John especially, and you know, why John? I don't know, his gospel's a little bit different. He focused so much attention on the issue of the Father and the Son. Now, not the only attention, because Jesus revealed it in all ways, but here's this, the youngest one among them. You know, there's some theologians that think when, when John was called, he was around 14 years of age. We call that a kid today, right? Yeah, you know, we see, you get to see all these paintings and they make him look old and bald. Well, maybe he was one day. We really don't know what he looked like. But when he was a kid, he was a kid. And when he was 14, Jesus called him to be one of the disciples to be titled later an apostle. To then write the word of God. And by the way, you have to watch episode one of the season two. And it just, the forming of it just makes so much sense how they did it but it's about that story about John writing his gospel talking with the mother of Jesus but here's the thing God's unchanging right God was always revealing the father from the garden forward So, though people didn't relate to him that way, God was always reaching. Why is that important? God's always reaching. God's always reaching to you to know the Father. Always. No matter what happens here on the earth. Father Abraham had many sons. His sons had Father Abraham. Well, we sing songs about it, but here, and I don't understand this story completely. There's a lot in this. But I'm telling you, we see what the Father is like through comparison. So we know this well, right? Genesis 22, and I I just put up a first couple of verses for the sake of time, because I believe that most of you 
Even children know this story well because it's given to us so many times. Genesis 22 verse 1 uh, came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. God tests us. He tested Abraham. I have felt tested by God. I very seldom understand his tests. I always learn from them. But explaining them, uh, this is difficult. And he said to him, calling him his name, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Infanticide? Well, most people believe again. Here comes a 14-year-old. Only this time it's Isaac. And when it calls him a young lad, that's a reference of time in which he was probably in in his early teens. And God, wait a minute. God wants to do him in? God wants to, like, have him sacrificed? Why? Well, don't you sort of wonder about Abraham? His response is not, are you kidding me? I love this kid. God, that's pretty weird. I don't think I can do that. Think of the arguments you've had with God over things he's asked you to do. Abraham doesn't blink at this. Why? Have you ever asked that question? Why isn't Abraham in shock that God wants him to sacrifice his son? Everybody else around them did. Child sacrifice, human sacrifice to appease gods was common in the culture and the day. Think in terms of Molech. We always want to talk about the horror of it. They're used to this. Abraham thinks that's sort of what a God would be like because that's what the other gods are like. They did sacrifice. Was it right? No. Did God think it was right? No, that's not the test. I said, we we know this story well and I certainly don't understand all of it and the idea of testing Abraham's faith and the moral dilemma of killing your own child for the sake of faith or obedience, it's, it's beyond me. But I love, here, here, an author by the name of Jeff Turner who wrote Saints in the Harms of a Happy God, I want to quote this to you. He said, the real tragedy here is that God, man's benevolent, triune, familiar creator, was perceived as being on equal level with the pagan gods of antiquity. Selfish gods who had no problem with taking the life of your loved one in order to satisfy their own needs. Abraham, while being a godly man and under a particular covenant with God, had yet to have his mind fully purged of the pagan notions that had been ingrained in him. The distorted images of father, just like we have. It's no, it's no different. 
It, it was there in Ur when he was called out of that place in the land of the Chaldeans. And God, while patient with Abraham's misunderstandings, was not content to let them go unchallenged. So I don't think this was God being sneaky or anything. I think he was directly confronting something about what he's like. I am not like the other gods. And he used this test. Now, was it right or wrong? Yes. It was completely right of God to declare and reveal himself what he was like because we know the story well. God didn't take, he gave. God stopped the knife coming down. God turned it and said, I will provide a sacrifice. There will be a ram. And he did it that way. Just to test Abraham? No, to show us and to show Abraham and everybody who wanted to follow him. God gives, he doesn't take away. And we sing the song, Blessed be the Lord that giveth and taketh away. And I know that life can take away, but God is not mean, vindictive, or out to get you. Ever. God gave and gave and revealed who he was as a father. Even through a story like this. Here's, here's something that's really... It's not cute about the story. It's actually, it's so symbolic that it becomes more than cute. It's, it's energizing. Because the striking symbolism is, uh, comes not just from God revealing himself as a redeeming father, but the very fact that God would ensure that Abraham's joy was fulfilled. How do we know that? The symbolism. What did Isaac mean? Laughter. God restored his laughter. The father wanted Abraham's inheritance to be joy and laughter. Nothing like that. Well, I guess we got that God being okay with us for the next planting season, so we'll have a good harvest. What happens after that? No. That his joy might be full. Because he already knew the reason he was called laughter is because they kind of snickered at God when he said, you're going to have a son. This is why they named him laughter. And this, you go, the symbolism here, it's too ripe <laughs> with meaning to ignore the meaning of it. God wants you to be delighted as his child because that's who he is as a father. Your dad indeed may have not been that way, but your dad wasn't God. And you may have to spend a lifetime working through the issues. I have. Nevertheless, I have not had to spend a lifetime working through the issues of God as my father. He has declared himself openly. He's my true dad. And even those of you, and I hope my children would say this, 
I might have had the best of dad, but the best of dads is dad the father, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at seeing this. Fathers and sons. God understood Jesus preaching. This is early on in his preaching. This is still Sermon of the Mount. Ask, Matthew 7, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more key emphasis will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him if your view of God is this curmudgeon selfish kind of vindictive person who occasionally gets off a little bit of what he has to give you a little taste you've got a very distorted view of the father Well, am I bad then? No, you're just wrong. You're not bad at all. You're just comparing something to something that doesn't deserve the comparison. That's all it is. It's a comparison in your mind and in your emotion and in your experience. That's not who the Father is. How do we know? Think of the, the, look, we distort all these things. Think of the parable in Luke 15 of what? The parable of the prodigal son. Who named it that? We did. The guys who translated the Bible into English decided to call that chapter and that heading the story of the prodigal son. That's Actually not. The reason they did it is because there's the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then they went the lost son. So they tried to do wonderful literary parallelism is what that's called. It's a device. But in actuality, that story should be called the parable of the loving father. Because the son isn't even the... Actually, he's not... He's the object of the story, but he is not the subject of the story. The subject of the story is how the father responds to both of his children and even to his servants. It's been so distorted throughout the generations. Well, that kid needs to come to his senses and run home. That's what the prodigal, that foolish kid, and you probably said those words to yourself when you were being foolish it really isn't about the behavior of the foolish son and it's not to be about the behavior of the rigid jealous religious older brother who's about restoring not seeing his father's good name besmirched The story's about this, a father who gives out of love. Gave the inheritance early, out of love. Gave to his child when he returns, out of love. 
We even see it in, uh, I can't remember which Christian artist did this, but he titled the song, The Day God Ran. You know, we see this image of the father sees the son coming so far away, picks up his garments and runs to him. No accusation in him. The father doesn't say that he doesn't reject the older judgmental brother either. In the same manner, he doesn't reject him at all. The father delighted in both of his kids. Why? Because he's the father. It's who God is. I love the end of the story. He's still talking to the older brother and he said to him, Son, you are always with me. Even though he was bitter and angry, so he never even rebuked him for that. He says, you're always with me. You're not going to lose anything, buddy. And all that I have is yours. He doesn't get it taken away because he's an ugly older brother. All older brothers are a little ugly. <laughs> if I remember it correctly, being the last child. So he gives to the younger and the older the same thing. The fullness of who he is. The father delights in who we are. This, we've gotta, this is who God is. It's not a, he acts like a father. This is who God is. He is a redeemer and he is a restorer. Even when we're at fault and throw things away. Or we demand that somebody else do it the same way we did it. It was right, he says in verse 32, it was right that we should make merry. There comes that joy word again. It was so right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead. He's alive again. Was lost and was found. The far, farther we go into this, the more you have to see. The, 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 even if you've had a good dad here on the earth, the, the farther you reach into who God is as a father, the more you receive of who He is as a father. Is it dependent on you reaching in? No, He's always there. Have I been so long with you, Philip, that you say to me, <laughs> it's for each of us. So I wrote down the three things here, and we'll close with this in a scripture. God is the father of all fathers. There would be no fathers if God wasn't a father. It's as simple as that. God the Father is filled with happiness and joy over His children. God delights to do good towards each one of them. And every part of His will is to work in our lives the goodness of the Father. 
What's the will of God? That you would know the Father through Jesus the Son. I wrote down this one final thing. God does not do evil and he is not tempted by it. Jesus got pretty tough on people when they decided that God was judging certain things. He made a tower fall and kill people. He said, you don't know what you're talking about. We don't know what we're talking about until we start talking like this in this manner. So I wrote two versions of this. Because this is what the Father's like. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. We are only good because God is good. There is no goodness inherent in any one of us. Matter of fact, we're all naughty children. I was the stupid one. I was the one that ran away. I was the one that ate with pigs. So were you. But God came after me. God rescued me. Look at the Phillips translation. But every good endowment that we possess and every complete gift that we have received must come from above. From the Father of all lights with whom there is never the slightest variation or shadow of inconsistency. He doesn't change who he is to meet any of us. By his own wish, he made us his own sons. (laughs) Can you hear that? By his wish. I read that. I just started... I get the joy of getting to prepare this stuff. So I cried a little bit. Let's change the way it says it. By his own wish, he made me his own son. He made me his own daughter. Through the word of truth that we might be, so to speak, the first specimens of his new creation so that we could be like him guys this is the yummy stuff about who God is all of it's yummy but this is like go home this week eat this with tablespoons it's honey it's healing balm it's life changing stuff It can help your memories. It can ease your anxieties. 
It can formulate you into a secure place of being able to trust the Father. It's life-changing if you take and eat. (laughs) It's so good. Because He's so good. Can I pray for you? God, I pray that through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, that the revelation of who you are as Father would come to each heart. And that you wouldn't leave anyone alone this week, no matter what their age is. Whether the youngest person that's in here, even a baby, to the oldest among us, I pray for the revelation of God the Father to come. And that Jesus would manifest Himself to reveal it. And the Holy Spirit, you would work within the framework of everyone's thinking, everyone's feeling, everyone's soul, where it needs a touch from the Father, that you would indeed touch them this week. That the balm of healing that lies within the framework of this understanding would come into their hearts And that the fears that they possess over the future would be diminished. The anguish that they have towards themselves as being wayward and a child who failed and a child that did the wrong thing. I pray now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would sweep that into the loving arms of the Father and sweep them That you loved enough that you paid our wayward price. And that you're not mad. You're not disappointed. You're not discouraged. You're not disillusioned. And you're not done. And we receive it now as people. In the Father's Son's name, Jesus, I pray. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you love each other as you go?